Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. About a month before Brother was killed, I asked Father why he liked cars so much. It's in the blood, Father answered. This program features the work of 2016 writer Cassandra Lopez. Curator Karen Finneyfrock sat down with her in the studio. So your project for Jack Straw is a hybrid creative nonfiction project. Tell me about it. Well, it's stemming from poetry that I was writing. I have a poetry manuscript called Brother Bullet, but I wanted to tackle some of these same issues, but in a longer format, more in-depth than I really could do within poetry. And I also wanted to continue to experiment with form and just trying to look at grief in also broader ways instead of just on the personal level, but from a community level, a family level, a national level, um, historical level, generational. (laughs) So a lot of loss, but coming out of this personal loss that I think the hybrid form allows me to, to explore. Does writing about grief change the experience of grief? I don't think it does, but I know that I turn to one, to write poetry or write expression, but I also turn to the words of others for solace, for understanding. So I don't think it changes, but it just helps you navigate that journey. I know that you have written uh, extensively about losing your brother. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, were you writing poetry at the time that you lost him, or was there a period of grief when you were not yet writing about it? So... I lost him during the time I was in my MFA for fiction, and it was during my break, a winter break, and the next semester I went back to school, and I was in a poetry workshop with Dana Levin, who deals herself, deals so wonderfully in her work with grief, and I started writing exactly then um, about what was happening and the experience. And so she was a mentor for me in terms of informing me, I think, about not only poetry, because that was the first formal poetry class I had taken, but also how to deal with some of these emotions in a classroom as well. So she's a great poet and teacher. And from that experience, you know, some of those early poems were very visceral and very of the moment and of the event. But, you know, it's been five years, and as I now I'm, you know, as I said, I'm looking, I'm exploring that grief in these other ways instead of, yes, some of that in the moment comes up, but I'm I'm tackling it in these different avenues. You were in an MFA program for fiction. I know you also write poetry and lyric essays. Can you talk a little bit about how that process is different or why you might be drawn to one type of writing over another on a particular day or on a particular subject? 
After the loss of my brother, I felt the urgency to write poetry, something from a more personal experience. And in a way, fiction did not feel as relevant to my life. At this point, I try to, what I'm experiencing or what I'm hearing, I try to um, let it be and then work with that. Like the things that I'm writing now, sometimes I'm not sure if it's a poem or is it an essay? What What is it exactly? And I just try to keep on working it until I'm able to get something that I can sculpt and then I will be able to sort of make that decision. And how do you imagine that the hybrid form might play out in this project that you're currently working on? The structure is something that I'm interested in. I'm also interested in using documents and in responding to them, working with the documents as part of the form in terms of um, the police report, autopsy report, newspaper clippings, that sort of information as a way to create a sort of mosaic of this grief. And I'm not exactly sure (laughs) how it's all going to form together, but that's the way I see it as more of a mosaic where a poem would inform this other essay or the document is informing an essay or speaking to each other. I know you are a teacher in addition to being a writer. How does teaching affect your writing? Last quarter, I was teaching a class on art and activism. And in that class, I felt really fulfilled and inspired by the students and inspired by the work that I was creating. I didn't do as much writing, but I felt inspired and I and I felt like after that quarter finished, I was like ready to go. Other times I think it can be draining and I don't always have the brain power at the end of the day to write. But I often tell my students writing is a process, so I try to remind my students of that, especially when I'm teaching creative writing. Um, Some of my students get very anxious about it, and so I, you know, try to bring the fun back into it, and sometimes I need that reminder as well. Do you think of your own art as being activist? Originally, I did not. It was just about this personal experience, but as I have published work and give readings, um, I do see it as a type of political or activism. And as I write more and I, I talk about these various types of losses and grief, the, it, it does, there's times when it does become more political, where a person's loss is not just that individual loss. And what I'm trying to do oftentimes is shed light on types of loss and violence that is not talked about. Now we'll hear a selection from Cassandra's live reading. So I'm going to read two excerpts from a project that I'm working on. It's a hybrid project, a blend of memoir and poetry, so prose and poetry. And the working title is A Few Notes on Grief. And it's about um, my brother's murder, um, loss, different forms of loss and love. So this is a prose poem, Crown of Grief. 
For many years, I ate silence. Inside my mouth, there was a collision of stars, a supernova explosion. On my lips, I could taste dust of gold, shimmer of early earth. When the dentist at the Indian clinic would open my mouth, my teeth would crumble. This is first decay. At three, I was already decomposing. Maybe this is why I sing so many morning songs. Death always close to tongue. I was a golden child with honeyed future. The Indian clinic dentist fills my mouth with silver. School polishes my teeth and tongue to a luster. Still, I don't speak until a diamond is torn from my throat. This is not a delicate procedure. There is no numbing agent, no anesthetic for brother loss. My new Dennis crowns a tooth and tells me, you are too young for this. I blink acknowledgement. She puzzles my mouth, propping it open, coaxing my tongue to the side, documenting the hurt. This is a great challenge, she says, as she catalogs the cracks and aches. But I already know this map. I tell her, where I tend her to touch is where you will find the pulp of tooth. The softest part I could ever offer has already been violenced. When I was younger, I didn't know that beneath the root of tooth was legacy. Here, ancestors' voices crowd each other waiting for me to speak. I feel like we're on the same theme of some of these difficult issues, so I don't feel so bad. <laughs> so this is more of a lyrical essay. It's called Fractions. One, brother loved cars. He loved the gleam of a perfect paint job and shiny rims. He loved the smell of oil and even the potential of a rusty engineless car. This is a family trait I do not possess. About a month before brother was killed, I asked father why he liked cars so much. It's in the blood, father answered. He said it as if it should have explained everything. But I was left with questions swirling around my head like DNA strands. What does it mean for cars to be in the blood or for any part of one's identity to be located in a fluid that circulates within my body, delivering oxygen to my cells? As Native Americans, our blood is quantified by the US government. There are sheets of paper, certificate of degree of Indian blood. These official Bureau of Indian Affairs documents number me, state my fraction of Indian blood and where it comes from. But this is not all I am. Fraction, from Latin fractus, broken. To think this way makes it seem possible that a person could break apart at any moment, break apart with it through generations or within themselves. Even a full blood is 4-4. Because my native ancestry comes from more than one tribe, I can be documented into multiple fractions. And what about all my undocumented parts, unrecognized by the federal government, leaving me on the verge of erasure? An interesting footnote in history. What kind of math knows about my humanness? I don't feel split up piece by piece because of blood. I am weaved together by story and family. Mother taught me how to thread the needle and slip it into the eye of memory. 
how to wet the thread with my tongue if it begins to unravel. One half. I was not fractured by blood. I was fractured by bullet. It broke me good. Made me unwhole by the loss of brother. Made me hungry for answer. I splinter with desire to right this wrong. I become an echo, always calling brother's name. Brother was four years younger than me. This will remain a constant. I will always be able to track his age with my own. As we grew older, the differences in our age seemed to shrink and our arguments became infrequent. He helped me select my first car I used sedan. When I sideswiped a car, he used his connections with a local auto body shop to give me a cheap deal on the repair. He drove me places when my anxiety would get the best of me. This is a sibling comfort. A few weeks after brother's death, I start to feel as there's a physical part of me that is missing, like a phantom limb gone missing, but still needed to navigate this world. Then the realization comes that the person who I shared so many childhood memories with, the one person who was born from the exact same mother and father, is now gone. Three-fourths. I'm always searching for meeting. What does it mean to sister the dead, to sister a memory? I tried to chart the stars with his story, map a dark night. The old ones say this is where the lonely go. I tell myself this is where I'll find him. This is where I find myself. And what did father mean when he said the cars are in our blood? What does it mean for blood to contain a love of something within it? What was in his blood? Maybe I'm missing this blessing or is it a mutation? I imagine our blood, red and liquid, with miniature cars flowing through it, being passed down through the generations. Am I only half-car lover or something more fragmented? <laughs> what about my nephew and niece? What about youngest nephew who was six months old when his father was killed? How does he learn his blood without his father? Yet his first word was tractor. Is this evidence of brothers' blood or evidence of the way we live our lives through memory? 4-4. Four, four. Cars get rusty, grow weak, their hearts or lungs sometimes give out. I was taught that with some cars, newer ones especially, it makes sense when they break down and stop working to sell them, to rid ourselves of these bodies with so little history. Father and brother were not sentimental about newer cars like they were with classic cars, cars with a certain past and sense of style. Sometimes if the car is in terrible shape, but there is something to salvage, you strip it apart and sell it piece by piece. Each part becomes a fraction of a whole. What is left is crushed, compressed into a slab or a cube. What can be salvaged from all of my parts? How do I become unfractured from pain? Brother and father worked with their hands to restore. They had the ability to see beyond damage and into potential. They sanded down and pounded out dents. They pull apart and put back pieces together to create a whole, adding flair and style. They consider paint colors with names, with adjectives like pearl and candy. They select rims that gleam in the sun, cutting across the concrete like a knife. They use the softest cloths to wipe away dust and grit. Here I find the path to their softest parts, where they open into a smile. 
brother added airbags to his Riviera to make it dance. He hit the switches and the car show audience applause. They baby these cars so they don't overheat, learn their cries and purrs like they are family members, become garage surgeon when they falter. This work darkens and roughens their hands. Fathers loses the top of his finger from the weight of engine. He loses a fraction of himself. In grief, he will lose much more. All of this work is an art. This is how they created beauty, that they steer across a sea of asphalt. Brother's keys jangle in oldest nephew's pocket on the day oldest nephew will drive his father's Riviera. At 15 years old, he eagerly navigates a parking lot, moving forward with his ghost father riding shotgun. From them, I learned that the act of restoration mends. Even in death, I learned from brother. I'm learning how to piece myself back together again. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2016 curator of this program is Karen Finneyfrock. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Daniel Gunther and Levi Fuller. Recording engineers are Steve DeTori, Daniel Gunther, Mo Preventure, and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Alyssa Keene. And executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by the Seattle Jazz Composers Ensemble. Produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>